Welcome to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. My name's Rick Samprin. We talk about the controversial dress code at Waterdown High School with a trustee and a student at the school. There's a new twist in Hamilton's urban sprawl debate. Capacity limits at Ontario restaurants may soon be lifted. We chat with former CBC newsman Peter Mansbridge about his new book. And you'll hear from a TikTok couple who will finally be reunited now that the Canada-U.S. border is about to be fully reopened. The Good Morning Hamilton podcast starts now. This is the Good Morning Hamilton podcast on 900 CHML. Our uh, Twitter poll question today at AM 900 CHML. Should the Hamilton Public School Board update its high school dress code? to allow for clothing such as crop tops and tank tops. You can vote now on Twitter at AM900CHML is the handle. And that's the subject of what we're talking about right now, because the Hamilton Public School Board is being asked to review its dress code policy. And if you've not been following this story, this comes just days after a walkout at Waterdown High School in the wake of comments made by that school's principal amid a sexual assault investigation. Penny Deeth is the trustee for the Hamilton Wentworth District School Board and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Good morning, Penny. Good morning, Rick. How are you? Not too bad yourself. Good, good. Thank you for having me this morning. Thanks for joining us. What's your reaction to this explosive situation at the high school? So, you know, when when it comes to the dress code, uh, you know, I think it's been long simmering. Uh, You know, it's it's been a, a conversation that's come up over the years. I mean, I've, I've been a trustee for seven years, and prior to that, I sat on school council for many years, and, and, uh, and my kids attended Waterdown. So it's, it's been a topic that has come up over the years uh, with people sitting on both sides of the fence, some wanting, you know, stricter uh, dress codes, some wanting uh, no dress codes. So it's been simmering, I would say, for, for a number of years. Are you in favor of this review? hundred percent. In fact, um, I was actually in the middle of, uh, I had tabled a motion uh, to review the dress code, and then I learned that the student trustees uh, were working on a notice of motion, and um, which was really exciting. And uh, I'm thankful that it's coming from the student tr- trustees because I think that's, you know, where it needs to come from. I think the students need to feel that their voice is being heard and that they're being supported Uh, by their peers. So, um, yes, I'm uh, fully in favor of, uh, you know, a review. I think it's long past time. I know this still needs to be discussed at the school board, uh, but if it is uh, passed and a review is undertaken, how long does something like this take and and what is the ultimate outcome, do you think? That's a really good question. Uh, I think it depends on the depth of, you know, what we need to do, because I think with this one, and, and as you you know, have said that we'll be discussing it at board on Monday. Um, but, you know, we need to hear student voice on this and we need to uh, listen to parents as well. So there needs to be some review done, um, not just by staff. I think it needs to extend out and make sure that we're, you know, we're hearing uh, from students and parents, uh, you know, before decisions can be made. So, you know, so I don't think it's going to be a quick turnaround, but I, I think it needs time to be done properly to make sure that we come back with the, the right one. Penny Deeth is a trustee with the Hamilton-Wentworth District School Board. Joining us here on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML, we're chatting about the dress code issue at Waterdown High School. And it really, you mentioned that it has been simmering for a while. It really boiled over after the school's principal 
uh, announced a message over the PA system at the school reminding students to dress appropriately and not wear things like tank tops or crop tops. And that really added fuel to the fire. And, uh, you know, I, I really give a lot of credit to the students. I applaud them for taking a stand and taking some action with some of the protests that they have been holding. Um, what do you say to those students who are taking a stand? You know, like you, I, I mean, I applaud them. I listen, I, you know, I stood at the back of the protest and listened to the students sharing their stories, sharing their frustration, you know, talking about the impact it had on them. And, you know, I think it's, uh, you know, I think we, you know, we fully support student voice. And, you know, it, it's too bad it had to get to this boiling point for it to spill over like this. Um, but, uh, you know, I think that, you know, I, I like you, I applaud them for coming forward and, and for taking a stand on this and for having the courage to talk about, you know, how it's impacted them and each of their stories. If a review is taken, and I think most people will probably agree that it, it should happen, um, there, mm-hmm. ha- there has to be a balancing act because schools do still have to have some standards. But I think what a lot of these uh, w- girls are, th- are saying is that, you know, there's rules in place right now, but they're not really applicable to both girls and boys. Girls can't wear tank tops, but boys can wear things like muscle shirts. So there there is a balancing act in in terms of uh, implementing standards, but it's got to be a level playing field. You're right. I mean, it has, uh, I think, you know, girls have felt unfairly targeted uh, with the dress code, even though I know there are instances where boys have been, you know, talked to about their dress as well, uh, you know, especially when, you know, the fashion was when the jeans were low um, and, and uh, you know, around muscle shirts and things like that. So, but, you know, I think, for the most part, girls have felt centered out with the dress code, so we do need to to look at that and make sure that you know there it is equitable and and that it is sort of a level playing field and that they're not feeling you know shamed or blamed uh, from their dress. For years, the Catholic board has adopted uh, the uniforms. Uh, would the public board even consider that? So there, there is something in place where, um, because actually Waterdown High School, and I want to say probably 10 years ago, actually looked at bringing in a sort of a golf shirt. Uh, the principal, um, you know, wanted to look at maybe just wearing sort of a golf shirt with a school emblem on it as sort of a, you know, a quasi uh, school uniform. And you had to have um, I don't know whether it was 75% or even more um, that supported it, and, and we didn't get that, and, and it was a hot issue back then. Um, and, you know, the, the reason at that time was um, safety is that you can look in your school and know who is supposed to be there, and then also equitable about, you know, uh, you know for students, you know, it, it kind of takes away the haves and have-nots. Um, so that was sort of the reasoning behind it, but, so I don't know, I don't think a a dress code, I I think it will be hotly, would be hotly contended, um, so I think, because I know back then, and I, you know, I, I get the sense, the feeling is now that the students would be vehemently opposed to it, uh, we don't want to take away anybody's sort of self-expression and, and identity, um, so, but there are parents on both sides, right? There's parents who'd like to see a dress or a uniform, and there's parents that are vehemently opposed to it.
Well, we will uh, await the uh, results of uh, Monday's meeting, and if we do see a review, we'll eagerly await uh, those results as well. Penny, uh, thanks for the time today, and enjoy the rest of your week. You're very welcome. You too. Thank, Thank you. you. That's Penny Deeth, a trustee with the Hamilton-Wentworth District School Board. How about some news and opinion to go with your coffee? This is Good Morning Hamilton with Rick Zamperin on 900 CHML. Our Twitter poll question today at AM900CHML. Should the Hamilton Public School Board update its high school dress code to allow for clothing such as crop tops and tank tops? Vote now at AM900CHML. So far, 57% of our respondents say yes. The board should update its dress code. It is a hot topic because students at Waterdown High have been rallying, including another rally yesterday, and I hear there's a protest plan for tomorrow in the wake of comments made by the school's principal amid a sexual assault investigation. And basically, long story short, the principal went over the PA to say, listen, students, we have to remind you about the dress code and how to dress appropriately. Do not wear tank tops or crop tops. So the girls in the school are like, What? Uh, Boys are allowed to wear muscle shirts. Why can't we wear these things? And now the public school board is going to be asked to review its dress code policy. Let's chat with one of the students at Waterdown High School. Her name is Caitlin Urbanic, and she joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Good morning, Caitlin. Hi, how are you? Not too bad. Yourself? Good, thanks. Thanks for joining us this morning. It certainly has been a whirlwind week. Tell us about how students have banded together to seek change with the dress code. Yeah, so I mean, as soon as we heard the announcement, I think there was a general consensus that we were going to do something about it. Um, Without any planning, a lot of us gathered to talk to the principal that very same day at lunch. And just the next day, we had organized a protest, set up some meetings with superintendent and the principal, and things were really underway. It was very... Um, heartwarming to see all of the support that everyone had for this issue. Now, there was a pajama protest yesterday. Tell us about that. Yeah, so um, crop tops and tank tops aren't allowed in the school, but according to the handbook, pajamas aren't allowed either. Though a lot of students can be seen wearing pajamas almost every day. So we decided um, just as a small... um, act of rebellion against the dress code that we would all wear pajama pants. Oh, you rebellious kids, you. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, point point made, obviously, you know, this is an important issue to many students. What do you say to those people who, who are thinking, you know, it, it's a dress code. It's not a big thing. Just wear a T-shirt and, you know, go to school. What do you say to those people? You know, I would say that I think a lot of people don't realize how detrimental this type of dress code can be to um, children, young girls in particular, you know, you're growing up and you're learning that your body should not be put on display, your body should be hidden, it's shameful. And I think that's really harmful. And I think that's the biggest issue with the dress code. And I just think that more people need to understand and realize that. Coupled with that, Caitlin, is that there's also a um, uh, an unlevel playing field because as many of the female students at Waterdown High have pointed out, uh, they're not allowed to wear crop tops or tank tops or tube tops, but some of the boys wear muscle shirts, which can be revealing whether they have muscles or not. Yeah, um, 
I think that was the biggest issue when we heard the announcements. It specified crop tops and tank tops, but didn't say anything about muscle shirts. Um, a bit later in the day, the principal came back on the announcements and did say that it also included muscle shirts. But I do think that a big issue was that it wasn't initially said. Yeah, the damage had already been done. Um, the principal, and uh, again, she's not here to speak for herself, but it was really a tone-deaf kind of comment, at least the original one that she made over the PA system. Yeah, and you know, so I'm a grade 12 student. I've been at this school for almost four years now, and I think that over the years, the principal, she's done a really good job. She's been great. She's been there for her students. I really just think that this was a bad judgment call. Um, for the entire school and the entire board. I wouldn't necessarily um, blame her. The fallout and the damage has been significant, but I really do think that it was just a momentary lapse in judgment. Caitlin Urbanic is our guest. She's a student at Waterdown High School. We're chatting about the dress code at the school, which has really been a hot-button issue over the last number of days. Um, What's the feeling like at the school? Obviously, this is something that everyone is talking about. What are you feeling as students? No, I think right now we are all feeling very hopeful. I know that some action has um, been taken and is in the process of being taken to um, amend the dress code and change it a bit. So I think that while um, the feeling started out as disappointment and maybe a bit of fear, um, I think everyone's really hopeful to see some change. So with that, what are you hoping to see with this dress code review? You know, I'm really hoping to see um, the dress code amended to something much less, um, I don't know, severe, um, with less punishments. Um, I'm also hoping to see some education in terms of um, what could be considered insensitive and what could be considered detrimental, detrimental and harmful to students so that the staff doesn't make this mistake again. There is also, and we shouldn't ignore this, there is a sexual assault investigation going on um, with this matter and, and allegations of sexual harassment as well. It is, I don't want to oversell this or overplay this, but is there a fear amongst uh, female students about this? Yeah, and, you know, at the protest <clears throat> last Friday, there were a lot of people who felt unsafe um, at the school and the dress code you know, made it worse, made everyone feel a little bit like the school was victim blaming. But I think that we've taken a step away from that as the school has um, done a little bit to try and um, change the way students feel, or at least will be changing that. Caitlin, appreciate the time today. I applaud your efforts and those of other students who uh, are involved in this issue. And uh, hopefully for your sake and for the sake of many other students, male and female at the school and uh, throughout the board, that uh, this review will turn up something that is acceptable to everyone. Thanks for the time today. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Caitlin Urbanek, student at Waterdown High School, as we address uh, that, uh, as I say, a hot-button topic at the school across the board, and we're looking forward to seeing whether the review is adopted and going forward and uh, what comes of it. Serving up a healthy dose of news, traffic, and engaging opinion. This is Good Morning Hamilton with Rick Zamperin on 900 CHML. A new poll backed by the local Realtors and Home Builders Association challenging the city of Hamilton's own survey results on expanding the urban boundary into farmland. 
The details from CHML's Lisa Pileski. Nick Nanos of Nanos Research says 38% of 700 respondents to a randomized survey were in favor of boundary expansion. If there's a one way to describe this, I think residents in Hamilton would like to declare total war on house affordability. Only one in five of those who responded said they actually received the city's survey. And Mike Collins-Williams of the West End Home Builders Association says that's a problem. We should not be setting public policy for Uh, the next 30 years based on a populist uh, survey uh, in which um, the responses were were mixed. Overall, the city received more than 18,000 responses to its urban boundary survey. Of those, 90% were opposed to expansion. Lisa Pileski, 900 CHML News. Now, there is some pushback on this poll from a Hamilton councillor. John Paul Danko from Ward 8 says this Nanos poll was commissioned by local realtors and home builders associations groups that have a vested interest in expansion. The poll that was funded by the development industry is just a clear example of how they are able to leverage their wealth to influence public policy. If you don't like the opinion of 18,000 Hamilton residents, you just pay for your own survey to uh, challenge the result. City of Hamilton was supposed to vote on moving forward with its growth plan in a couple of weeks. That has been moved back to November the 9th. Uh, our next guest to talk about this is Donna Bacher, president of the Realtors Association of Hamilton Burlington. Good morning, Donna. Welcome to the show. Good morning, Rick. How are you? Not too bad. Yourself? Very good. Excellent. Councillor Danko, which we just heard from, and uh, other supporters of the no urban boundary expansion issue claim that this poll is flawed because of the groups who were behind it. What do you say to that? Well, you know, we totally, I think, uh, you know, uh, Councillor Danko has a lot of respect, uh, you know, as being a, a fantastic councillor in the city and looking out for the interest of his constituents. And the the poll that uh, that was commissioned by Nick Nanos, being one of the top pollsters of the city or of the country, was more or less just to to get clarity on this whole uh, topic. And as uh, was stated from the Home Builders Association, is stuff like this has to be very certain before policy is set that will impact us for the next thirty years. So, you know, Nick Nanos was definitely the person, or Nanos Research, definitely the group to to shed some clarity on this, which, in fact, you know, 30% uh, of the respondents uh, were in support, and 32% said they wanted to freeze. So it does show that we have a, a very severe divide here when it comes to this. It's not as black and white as, as what the city survey showed. Where on that uh, black and white spectrum does the Realtors Association of Hamilton Burlington sit? Are you in favor of no urban boundary or some boundary expansion in the city? Well, the the staff report that first came out uh, was in support of a a minor uh, urban boundary expansion, and and this is bearing in mind that we're looking to uh, take on two hundred and thirty six thousand new residents over the past thirty years. So staff at City Hall was, uh, was, was pushing for a minor uh, urban boundary expansion and intensification, and we were in support of that. Does building up not work? I mean, we're talking about creating more homes, and not only that, creating more affordable homes. So are you against building up as opposed to building out? 
Well, I believe that we're on, on the side of both, okay, is that, you know, the city of Hamilton needs to both build up and it needs to intensify along the, the boundary that it has already and add a little bit, okay? And we're not, we are definitely not in support of uh, paving over all of our farmland, but we do want to see a mix of intensification in the current boundary and a small, small expansion of the urban plan. Our guest is Donna Bonkers. He is the president of the Realtors Association of Hamilton Burlington. We're chatting about uh, Hamilton's uh, urban sprawl issue. Uh, when uh, new homeowners or new residents to the city are looking for a home in the Hamilton Burlington area, are they being forced to look in particular spaces because of that affordability issue? And are many being forced to rent before they before they find a house? Well, I think the the most alarming thing, Rick, is is that three in four residents, according to the Nanos poll, said they would consider moving out of the city to nearby communities if their uh, preferred type of housing was not available for a price that they could afford. And uh, the and that survey actually went down more into the age group. So these are our younger. Uh, residents of the city looking to move out of the city, which is not good for the city. And, and yeah, especially if the transportation system isn't there either, or they don't have a car, because, you know, you look around, uh, you know, Burlington, Hamilton, Niagara's getting expensive, Brantford's average housing price is over $730,000. So people who want to work here are having to move further and further away, which is not the best option either. And precisely. And uh, the survey showed that eight in ten residents are concerned, or some are concerned, about the cost of housing in Hamilton today. So we do need innovative policies that will increase the new housing supply and mitigate some of the current challenges for anyone looking to enter into the market. So, you know that uh, you know if some way we could um, not have that line drawn in the sand so much to say, you know. No, we we are not going. We don't want to extend that urban boundary. Uh, we're not talking about going into the green belt here, uh, you know. And it's it's just a case of getting what's what's needed to deal with uh, with the I would say the short term growth and in a city where we have like a rising population of homeless people. Uh, rising uh, migration of people out of the city looking for affordable housing. It's, you know, this is a this is a serious issue. No doubt about it. Donna, really appreciate the time today. Thanks for joining us. Thank you very much, Rick. You have a great day. You too. Bye-bye. Donna Bacher is the president of the Realtors Association of Hamilton Burlington. This is Good Morning Hamilton with Rick Zamperin on 900 CHML. Well, it appears that restaurants, bars, and gyms are going to get some good news, and maybe as early as tomorrow. We're hearing the province will soon announce that capacity limits will be lifted for businesses where proof of vaccination is required for entry. And of course, gyms, restaurants, other businesses are involved in that. Here to shed some light on what that may mean for his business and many others is Jason Cassis from Equal Parts Hospitality. Jason, good morning. Welcome to Good Morning Hamilton. Good morning, Rick. Thanks for having me. You must be saying, well, it's about time. Oh, this has been a long, long, long year and a half, let me tell you. This feels really good to hear this kind of loosening of the restrictions. should mention to our listeners who are unfamiliar with Equal Parts Hospitality, uh, you guys operate Aberdeen Tavern, uh, The French, The Diplomat, The Apartment, Sanford Hall, Knoll Woods, uh, some really well-known and respected restaurants uh, in the city. 
Um, there, there's a lot of staff at those restaurants and many more across this province who are breathing a sigh of relief. We're hearing that these new rules or capacity limits to be eased will take effect next week. Um, what what has happened over the last 18, 19 months, and how have you stayed afloat? Well, it's it's been a challenge, I'll tell you. You know, when, when they're talking about uh, repealing all of the subsidies that restaurants uh, have received, you know, the subsidies are a direct result, not necessarily of the pandemic, but the policies that are put in place by government bodies within a pandemic. So there are other jurisdictions, as we all know, around the world that didn't have the same kind of punitive measures around restaurants and the closing of restaurants, Toronto specifically being, I believe, the longest uh, single closure of any hospitality-related, uh, you know, businesses in the, in the world, and uh, or certainly in the top two. Um, so, so ultimately what happens is, is when you take away that kind of business through policy, um, there has to be some sort of support there. And the other challenge, of course, with within that is, is is to, you know, reopen capacity. You know, we've changed lifestyle at this point. This isn't merely a function of saying, hey, you can reopen at 100%, therefore you will have 100% of the business. It's clearly not going to be the case. Um, and so I think right now it's really great news to hear that we get to reopen at full capacity but what they need to do is they also need to support us through that reopening to make sure that slowly as the as the light comes back into the room that everyone comes out the other side intact. So you want to see those supports continue until you're at least close to full capacity. Oh, absolutely, Rick. The, you know, you're talking about you know, it was really interesting. I happened to be downtown uh, yesterday, and I was on King William. And one thing I, I noticed that was just incredible to me is that you could see the suits were back on the street. Hmm. You know, the people in the towers that really haven't been in a tower in 18 months. And we could tell, I asked the general manager at the, at the French, I said, have you noticed an uptick in, in lunch sales? And she said, absolutely. She said, it's been very clear post-vaccine passport that lunch has come up. But the inverse is true of dinner. Dinner has dropped in sales since the vaccine passport has come in because it's more difficult to herd a group of people together that, you know, may or may not be vaccinated. And do you have your card? Don't you have your card? Does mom have her card? Does dad have his, you know, all of those things. Whereas someone in a tower is a little more organized, maybe even to get back in that tower, they had to be fully vaccinated. So it's it's interesting to see that there are still challenges uh, within the market, and therefore the subsidies are still key. If I had to pick a date right now, I would say, you know, these subsidies should probably go through till the end of Q1 of, of next year in order to get through the winter. I mean, typically, as my, my business partner, Jarrett, would say, you know, most, most restaurant companies run negative cash flow from January to March or a small loss. And we use the positive cash flow of the fall to build a cushion to get through winter. Well, right now, most restaurants are still not anywhere near 100% unless you're a quick-serve restaurant like a McDonald's or something like that mm-hmm. or a pizzeria. Yeah, our guest this, mor- uh, this morning on Good Morning Hamilton is Jason Cassis from Equal Parts Hospitality. They run uh, several restaurants in town, including the French, the Apartments, Knollwood. You, you mentioned um, uh, King William Street, so pr- probably the most famous street in terms of patio-style restaurants. There are a lot of great patios out there, including the French. Um, 
the the colder weather is on the way. Those patios are going to disappear. At least a lot of people disappear from the patios because the cold weather is is arriving. Um, th- the timing of this announcement comes at a good time. There's also the QR code that is coming as well. Is that going to help the situation at all? I don't know if it'll help the situation. Other than it'll it'll get rid of some of the fraud that that might be out there. I mean, the fraud is limited in terms of people faking a a vaccine passport. But I I don't know. Um, I don't know if the passports in and of themselves are going to change the business dynamic because, like I said, you have a you have a, a massive consumer shift in behavior right now, and that's going to be really that's probably going to take six months to a year to restore into the patterns that we're used to: uh, going out for dinner, going to celebrate, getting together in larger groups. So, hopefully, the announcement today or whenever that's going to come within the week. Hopefully that that announcement will start to restore the confidence in the market that will have people start to think about celebrating together again, being that they are vaccinated. I mean, ultimately, all of these things help. I think next time, if there's a next pandemic, we should think long and hard about, you know, having really punitive lockdowns, because ultimately, you know, I'm not sure that they they work for everybody. Well, let's hope the next pandemic is years and years and years away because uh, this one has certainly been crippling for many people. Jason, really appreciate the time today. Yeah, thanks for having me, Rick. Jason Cassis from Equal Parts Hospitality. Hey, visit one of our restaurants, Aberdeen Tavern, The Diplomat, The Apartment. Uh, great food and uh, awesome service as well. And if you can't visit physically, you can certainly order online or use your uh, uh, food app, uh, if you will. Wake up with the information you need to get the most out of your day. You're listening to Good Morning Hamilton with Rick Zamperin on 900 CHML. For the better part of two decades, he was the face of CBC Television's flagship nightly newscast, The National, and he is an icon in the broadcasting industry. Peter Mansbridge is also the author of a new book called Off the Record, and Mr. Mansbridge joins us now. Good morning, Peter. Good morning, Rick. The title of this book, Off the Record, suggests that the reader is going to learn about some spicy or juicy happenings during your career. Is that correct? Well, there's a there's a range of things they're going to learn. I mean, basically what this book is, is a collection of anecdotes that are the stories behind the stories. So, I mean, I did a lot of things in 30 years at the National and another 20 as a reporter for the CBC. And I, what I wanted to do was share some of the things that I saw and heard that I witnessed that didn't make it onto the air. Because quite often, as I'm sure you know, that when you start telling stories around the dinner table to friends, um, when they ask you, like in my case, they say, what was it, you know, what was it like to interview Barack Obama at the White House? They don't want to hear what was in the interview. They want to hear everything else that happened around it. And that's the kind of stories that, that I tell in this book. And they're, uh, you know, they're, they're, they're fun stories. Some are, some are funny, some are emotional. Uh, they all give you a sense of what journalism is really like. And uh, they talk to you about the country as well. So it's, uh, you know, I had fun writing it. And it appears that, uh, you know, after week one, it's already number one on the, on the book chart. So I'm, I'm pretty happy about that. And that is not surprising because I'm sure you have a, a million stories to tell and a million of them are, you know, five-star type stories. Is there a favorite in the book that you have? They're all favorites, right? <laughs> <laughs> and, and they all offer, you know, they all offer a glimpse, an insight into what this business is really like. 
And, uh, you know, there are about 60 anecdotes and I, you know, I, I, I picked the best ones to tell. So they're all pretty good in, in my opinion. What compelled you to write the book? Was it just something that you felt the need to share that you thought that readers would just enjoy? I, you know, a number of different publishers had, had been pushing me to write my memoirs. They called them memoirs. And I said, like, I, I don't want to call it a memoir because to me that has this sort of impression that's the last thing you do before you croak, right? You sort of pass on, here's my manuscript of everything ever happened to me, you know, and I'm gone now. Uh, I didn't want that because I'm still working. I still do a daily podcast. I'm doing documentaries for the CBC. I give speeches. I teach at the U of T, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, so I, you know, I, I wanted it to be more of a, you know, a, a reflection of, of a number of things that have happened to me in my career so far. And uh, so that's, uh, that's was the arrangement we made, not a memoir, but a collection of stories. It's the kind of book you can pick up and start anywhere. You can flip to page 211 and, you know, start there if you want, because it doesn't, it's not sequential. There's a little bit at the beginning about my childhood, but after that, it's all over the place in terms of different stories at different times during my career. The book is called Off the Records. The author is Peter Mansbridge. He's our guest here on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. What do you make of the news cycle that we live in now and, and how people are consuming news these days? Well, that is one of the biggest challenges that is facing journalism in general, no matter what platform, whether it's radio or television or online, print, you name it. Um, trying to determine the relationship that we have with the public and how they're consuming news in an era where everything's changed. I mean, I, I left the daily grind of, uh, of the national four years ago, but it's a different world today than it was just four years ago. And it's certainly different than it was 15, 20 years ago. And all those changes have just placed more options on the table for people to consume their news and to trust certain elements of news and to lack confidence in others. So all these things are impacting at the same time. And, uh, you know, consumers have to make some tough choices about what they believe and who they trust. And that's the core of the issues that are facing journalism in general today. It really has become a fractured industry, hasn't it? It sure has. Uh, and, you know, there's some good in that. I mean, change is, you know, is exciting and, uh, you know, and, and can make the product better. Uh, but we're at a point right now where, you know, those fractures that you mentioned uh, need to be dealt with in uh, in a way that not only makes the audience comfortable, but makes the journalists comfortable as well. We're in discussion with former longtime CBC national host Peter Mansbridge. He has a new book out called Off the Record. If Peter Mansbridge was starting out his journalism career today, what advice <laughs> would you give him? Uh, start small, but have have ambition, have big dreams. I mean, I started in a small station in Churchill, Manitoba. It didn't get any smaller. I think it was the smallest radio station in the country. Uh, and that's where things started for me. But when I started doing news, I started a newscast in Churchill. They didn't have one. But, you know, I'd go to school board meetings and I'd go to the, you know, town council meetings. Um, I talked to the RCMP every day, you know, the different uh, indigenous leaders every day. Um, and it was that connection with the kind of movers and shakers in our community that I, uh, you know, used uh, to better my journalistic skills. But I never, I never lost that 
concept, that idea of being at the grassroots level of, of, of stories as much as I could. Um, so starting small gives you lots of opportunities and you end up doing everything in the station. Uh, and I'm sure, you know, you know that, Rick, uh, the smaller the station, the more jobs <laughs> that you find yourself doing, which gives you an appreciation of all of them. I can relate. One of my first uh, radio gigs was in Fort McMurray, Alberta, way back in the mid-90s. And it, you talk about desolation, very similar to Churchill, Manitoba. Lots to do. Not not a lot to do in the community, but lots to do at the radio station because, you know, the staffing was so small, but it was a great experience. Do you have, and we only have a minute here, you know, mm-hmm. fr- from, from Churchill to now, do you have a career highlight? Is there one moment or a guest, or an interview, or a newscast, or, or uh, I don't know, a disaster that sticks out to you? They all do. Um, but I'll, I'll give you one. If a journalist can achieve one thing in, the, in their career, it's being at the spot, at the location when the world really changes. And most of us never get that opportunity. But I did. Uh, 89, I was in Berlin when the wall came down. And the world was literally changing around us. And we were broadcasting live from there. And so were all the other networks of the world. Uh, it was a global village. It was Marshall McLuhan's term use. And you could see it right in front of you. Um, that was, you know, of the many, many highlights I, uh, I've uh, been involved in in terms of my career, that was probably uh, one right near the top. You continue to be an amazing storyteller and a truth seeker and uh, now the author of a new book called Off the Records. Grab it at your favorite bookstore, download it on your e-reader. Peter, appreciate the time today. Thanks for joining us. Appreciate you giving it to me. Thanks, Rick. That is a former longtime CBC National host, Peter Mansbridge, here on Good Morning Hamilton. How about some news and opinion to go with your coffee? This is Good Morning Hamilton with Rick Zamperin on 900 CHML. Good news about the border. While Americans can enter Canada for any reason as of a couple of months ago, Canadians still cannot drive to the U.S. for any reason, although they can fly for any reason. Lack of symmetry at the border is annoying to people on border towns or people who have to cross the border regularly or just people who want to touch their American girlfriend's butts. That's the voice of one of our two guests coming up here. Uh, there is some uh, a little change to that, as we know. The U.S. is going to reopen its land border to fully vaccinated Canadians sometime, we're being told, in early November, which means... You'll be able to drive across the border to shop, visit a tourist attraction, and in some cases, reunite with loved ones. And that's where we find our next guests who've been physically separated since the pandemic hit many months ago. Marcus and Evelyn are TikTok creators who are here to share their journey and excitement over the border announcements. Good morning. How are you? Morning, Rick. How's it going? Not too bad. Marcus, we'll start with you. What was your reaction to the news? Well, we were on a FaceTime call at the same time we figured it out, so we were both just absolutely ecstatic. I know I just did immediately broke into dance because it's been, I, I don't even know how many months, 18, I think, of a closed border, and just the the ability to just go to go drive to see, uh, to see my partner is just fantastic. Now, did you do a prototypical TikTok dance or just something out of the... Actually, Carla DeVito, Breakfast Club. <laughs> I'm amazing. not joking. She can attest to this. Uh, Evelyn, you, you shared your reaction, Evelyn, to the border announcement on TikTok, and it was uh, a touching moment. Tell us about it. Yeah, well, I mean, it's just when you we've been navigating so much that just felt like it was out of our control and just so many months of that, it just it starts to really weigh on you. So just knowing that there's things are starting to at least look up and starting to become a little bit simpler for us was just such a huge, huge relief. And I just wanted to share that because we've had so many followers kind of following our journey and and just share with them that moment of, you know, relief. Marcus, what has life been like apart physically for all this time? 
it's it's just been a it's just been a massive challenge. Like both both of us have a um, both of us take just being in physical proximity to each other very seriously, and it's really important for our relationship. And so, just no matter how many calls you do, it's difficult to replace that feeling. And the yeah, just having that back again was just the prospect of having it back again in an easier way. Uh, just got us both really excited and you know it's been it's been a long time it's been a lot of difficult nights of just feeling alone and stuff and because you just don't have the person that you really love next to you and yeah that's coming to an end thank god <laughs> evelyn uh, we know that long distance relationships are always a challenge uh, has there been some strain at time or or has this process drawn you closer together I would say overall the process has drawn us closer together, especially as far as it comes to planning things. Um, it's, it's taken an immense amount of planning, but um, yeah, there have been times where it's it's been difficult. There's there's no way around that, just like with any long distance. But it's particularly difficult when things feel like the stakes are so high and there's just so many barriers in between. Like if someone gets sick or if someone's having a really hard time, it's it's not as simple as just getting on a plane and going and seeing them. So uh, that's that's been the biggest challenge for us. So Marcus, when do you plan to meet? Uh, as soon as possible. As soon as I get a date for the border reopening, I'm going to Enterprise and booking a car. Evelyn, obviously you're looking forward to this? Absolutely, yeah. I can't wait. Now, right now you're boyfriend and girlfriend, correct? Yes. Is there another level to this relationship we can soon see on TikTok? <laughs> <laughs> to be, scholars remain divided. <laughs> <laughs> every everyone every other comment asks about that and and, uh, and the, everyone can keep can keep uh, can keep hanging on there. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll we'll wait with bated breath. Uh congratulations on eventually getting to that date of reunification. That should be a special moment. We'll certainly check it out on TikTok and uh, thanks for joining us this morning. Thank you very Thank much, you. Rick. That's uh, Mark and Evelyn, TikTok creators who have, as I mentioned, been physically separated, as many people have with relatives in the U.S. or, or Americans with relatives or, or close friends in Canada. And they've not been able to cross the border. You know, maybe those plane tickets are too expensive or they just the timing isn't right or there's a fear of COVID. Um, we're getting closer and closer. And here's another example of us getting as close as we've ever been to uh, reuniting and, and going shopping and just leading a more normal life, if I can put it that way. Serving up a healthy dose of news, traffic, and engaging opinion. This is Good Morning Hamilton with Rick Zamperin on 900 CHML. The Good Morning Hamilton podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your favorite podcast. I'm Rick Zamperin. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free, so you never miss an episode. And make sure you rate and review.